Enough talking. Uh, 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 yeah. Jesse, hey, talk. Jesse, Jesse smash. Smash. So you want to play the Hulk, basically. I really do, yeah. yeah. Hello, co-host Eric Jensen. Hello, co-host Phaedra Casey. What's going on? Uh, not a lot. We just had a great talk with a great friend of ours and a great person, Jesse Cameron Alec, who is a lot of things, but he is, uh, uh, was a great guest, for sure. A, an excellent guest, uh, an old friend of both of ours. We actually run a, ga- we, I run a game that uh, that uh, Jesse and Phaedra are part of, and he's just a great Dungeons & Dragons player, a great dude. He's got a lot of job titles. We talked a lot about dramaturgy, but he, Jesse Cameron is a dramaturg, a producer, a poet, playwright an essayist, an artistic researcher, and a science fiction expert. He's born and raised Buddhist, high in the mountains of Montana. Uh, Jesse is a first-generation American born of Grenadian descent. And he moved to New York City at 17. He's worked with so many amazing people. He was at the Public Theater for 15 years, and for the last five years was the company Dramaturg, where I had the great pleasure of, of working with him. And he planned uh, bespoke development paths for projects from Acorn to Oak. Uh, he's a science fiction expert, artistic researcher for the Sundance Lab. We just had a great conversation with him. So we talked about dramaturgy in game and out in the professional world and how we do story for fun and story for work and how we still do story all the time. It was a great talk, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And he works with a lot of storytellers helping their stories come to life. So I think uh, you guys will enjoy this uh, episode. Thanks again for coming to Bard Quest Empire. I'm Phaedra Casey, And I'm Eric Jensen. It's good to have you here. Uh, we are here we are today here. with uh, on BardQuest Empire. Hey, Phaser, it's good to see you. Hey, Eric Jensen, it's good to see you. And it's a we have a guest today. We do, and I'm here uh, sipping my coffee and eating my uh, Turkish borek in honor of our five Turkish listeners. Uh, <laughs> and sitting here with Jesse Cameron Alec, born and raised Buddhist, high in the mountains of Montana. Uh, uh, Jesse is also a good friend. And uh, uh, wait, is that you were born high in the mountains of Montana, <laughs> or born Buddhist? I think John Denver wrote a song about you. Or no, that's Colorado. Oh gosh, we don't have any listeners anymore in Montana. I don't or know Colorado. if we had any. <laughs> if we did, I'm sorry. But we're we're definitely courting the Montana contingent of listeners. So welcome again to uh, BardQuest Empire. Uh, Jesse has a super interesting job. Jesse, why don't you tell us what your sort of the the job of of artistic director entails and what the dr- job of dramaturg entails. Uh, well, thank you for having me. On the well, show, thanks for being first here. First of all, gentlemen, it is a pleasure. Um, uh, let's see. Maybe, maybe I should talk about a dramaturg first. Yeah, okay. so that's right. what a dramaturg yeah. does. And you're also the associate artistic director at the Vineyard Theater. That correct? is true. We'll talk about that as well. Absolutely. Um, so, um, first of all, a dramaturg. Um, uh, uh, it's a job in the theater. It's, it feels like a bit of a German word. Um, and a lot dramaturg. of I, I wouldn't even say dramaturg. Um, uh, and even a lot of theater people don't know what a dramaturg is. Um, but a dramaturg is usually the person in the rehearsal room that you go in and you see them in the back, well, um, or sitting next to the playwright, whispering in their ear, and you're like, what does that person do? Um, and the interesting thing about being a dramaturg is you really don't have any job. You flow where you are needed in the yeah. artistic process. But essentially what that means is that I work with generative artists, and generative artists can be a writer, or a director, or a collaborative theater um, company, or a choreographer, or anything like that. And I talk to them about their vision, and I 
give them what they need to fulfill for, to fulfill their vision. So that means I'll sometimes that's notes, sometimes that's advice, sometimes I'll be an artistic producer and I'll build an entire developmental track for them. Sometimes I'll give them a commission or a readings or a workshop or I'll build an artistic retreat for them or I'll pair them up with um, collaborators. Um, and a lot of it is just giving my unsolicited advice. So you're kind and, of an artistic midwife in a way. That almost. is a good way um, to put it. I also sometimes at parties I describe myself as someone who gets drunk with writers. Okay. And yeah. I love doing that. So um, you start in the morning is what you're saying? Exactly. No, <laughs> no, 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 early afternoon. Um, but, um, but essentially, and I think it's also part of being a dramaturg is becoming friends with creative people because in order for, to give notes to someone and help them create something that is going to be really personal to them, they have to trust you and you have to get really close with them. Does your job involve a lot of research and like sort of world diving in, in, in diving into the world that these authors have created as well? Can you talk about this that? This is a good question because there's different kinds of dramaturgs. There are dramaturgs that are purely research dramaturgs. Mm -hmm. And so they um, research, you're doing, you know, Henry the Anthony Fifth. and Cleopatra. Yeah, Henry Anthony and Cleopatra, yeah. Henry V, some Shakespeare. Um, and it's set in the 20s. So um, this dramaturg will research the kind of bow ties that they wore in the 20s. I'm not that kind of dramaturg. Um, uh, I love those kinds of dramaturgs, but that's not me. I'm a new play development dramaturg. You're so more I'll talk of a big about, picture kind yeah, of? Yeah, big picture vision, but on the arc of a story, I can talk to you about Aristotle until you're blue in the face. Um, I'm that sort of dramaturg. But having he used said to do that, that too. But that's how we met. I mean, the yeah. Jesse, Jesse and, and, and Jessica and I all became friends. I, I guess we've worked together in that capacity at least three times absolutely um, and, yeah, and yeah. it's been it's and, and you really i mean as an artist it's you feel incredibly uh, you feel listened to with a good dramaturg i think feel taken care of and you feel inspired when inspiration seems far far mm. away mm. i mean that's 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 you 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 uh, exude those qualities as a dramaturg so i guess that's i but i've been very lucky to work with very good drama well, it, dramaturg. it's always been a pleasure but i will say that like you have to dive into the person's world yeah first you have to understand the vision of what they want it to be so i'm constantly in the process of going into other people's worlds and wow. figuring it out and then i'm just Do you ever find yourself in a world and you're like whoa 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 can i can i just like back up here absolutely like all the time you know? <laughs> artists think of weird worlds weird and strange and twisted worlds but i like weird and strange and twisted worlds there's also dramaturg but then there's also artistic director artistic so that's director, a second job associate artistic director but the, it's a job that's related um I, i'd say that the job of an artistic director or an associate artistic director falls in dramaturgy so talking to artists and helping them make their um, piece um, better artistic producing which is figuring out how you make the piece and all the sort of details um of the sort of technical details of that and then i would say curation uh-huh so you're overseeing worlds Yes. Really, and and choosing, you know, and being like, oh, this one and so, not this one. Part dungeon master, part explorer of worlds. Yes, You're sort of both player and dungeon master, and an this artistic archaeologist. As, oh as, my! Like, oh, y'all are making me fancy. Oh, <laughs> that's gonna go in the bio, Doctor Jones. <laughs> so now, oh, that yeah. we, now that we now that we know what you do. Why don't you tell us your Dungeons and Dragons origin story? Yes. Like, how, how did, did you, you come get to into the game? This, this other exploration of different worlds. Well, guys, I do not have a Dungeons and Dragons story that is as long as storied as the two of you. Um, <laughs> I, I will say that my journey to Dungeons and Dragons started probably with science fiction because I love science fiction. I was breastfed on Star Trek The Next Generation as a kid. Okay. My entire family, you know, um, is really into Star Trek and really into science fiction. So that's my thing. Like, but what are your favorite science fiction writers? Like, throw down on that. Who? My very favorite um, science fiction um, novelists, I'll start uh -huh. with novelists, is Frank Herbert, Dune. Uh -huh. You know, can't wait 
I know, I know, know, I know. The movie. Um, and then I would say um, Isaac Asimov. Uh-huh. You know? mm-hmm. Me too, I can't yeah. wait for Foundation also. That's yeah. coming. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just pitching to like all these like things. <laughs> that they paid me really well to come yeah, on yeah. this podcast. You're, you're a shilling for all these networks. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind. Um, and, Give us 5%, please. And then, <laughs> we're only hungry I podcasters. Wish, yeah. um, and then... <laughs> eating Borak over here. Octavia Butler. <laughs> You know, who wrote Parable of the Sower uh-huh. um, also. N.K. Jemison also, um, who's a newer science fiction writer who's written amazing. She is so amazing with character in a way that most science fiction writers aren't. Oh, that's mm. incredible. So, but, but I'm, so I'm into novels, but I'm also into television shows and movies. A uh-huh. lot. So that's where what, I started. Would you say Star Trek was your gateway into sci-fi and the sci-fi yes. universe? Yep, without a doubt. It was yeah. Star Trek. You know, Star Trek Next Generation, Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, yeah. He's my dad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. I got to say engage. uh, No, I got to say make it so to Patrick Stewart. Actually, on the tour of Aftermath. Yeah, he came to see Aftermath Aftermath. in London. Yeah. Someone was like, hey, uh, Patrick, can we take a picture? I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? I was like, and I told whoever it was, make it so. And he looked at me and gave me <laughs> this, like, <laughs> you, why you scamp? Why are you so-and-so? Yeah, and, that uh, was super that's, cool. That's that there. was, it was cool. It was nice to be, London has a slight, well, you've worked in London. Mm-hmm. It's got a different relationship to theater and the, 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 the sort of history of storytelling there. Yeah. So, so, so the, but, but back to Dungeons right. and Dragons, how did you? So I would uh, say science fiction was my gateway drug. I've always been, had a flirtation with fantasy like I, I used to read Piers Anthony uh-huh. yeah Piers yeah Anthony. which um, which were the main book what were the Zanth, names of the books the books of Xanth yeah um, but it, which was a sort of fake world it was kind of obsessed with puns it was really bad I was really okay. into it. I was, did I was you like, like Douglas Adams were you um, I did Adams? like Douglas Adams which is kind of like Douglas is kind of like fiction. yeah sci-fi themes sci-fi adjacent sometimes or like really Philosophical sci-fi, yes. almost right. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, he's got that funny take on the world. Yeah, he's you funny know? and jokey. Yeah, he's yeah. Dry yeah. and British. Yeah, and of course he's connected to theater because Mark Wing Davy actually um, um, workshopped all of those um, uh, Hitchhiker's uh. Guide to the Galaxy things with Douglas Adams and Mark Wing Davy. Wait, when it was a radio director. play? Yeah, when it was a radio play. Wow, he was the original Bebox. Um, um, I didn't know that. Fox. And he played Bebox on the. You remember the TV show that they had of uh, of it? In yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. It didn't fly. It was terrible. But like he played Bebox. It was them. too early. Um, uh, they didn't have any anything to yeah, like yeah. kind of do it. Yeah. I, I didn't mind the the movie. Did you guys see the yeah, most? I like the movie. Yeah, yeah, it was okay. Um, yeah. But um, the way I got into role playing games, interesting enough, was um, uh, uh, through Vampire the Masquerade. Oh, bro, me <laughs> too. Me. So you, know, you listened to the pilot? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did listen to that. I was shocked. Um, Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah, um, and it was White and, Wolf, man. I, I, I mean, I think it's generational. Marking. I think it was like a lot of people mm-hmm. were playing it. At, at, our particular slice of whatever high school, whatever you got into it, I imagine. But yeah, LARPing. So much LARPing. I got into it really early. I was actually um, uh, 12 or 13 and all my sister's college friends were doing it. Oh, so cool. Did they bring you in as like a little... uh, I played a Malkavian, which was the crazy vampire. And it was funny because I was 12 and they liked having me around. Um, So I would do LARPing. um, uh, And so I was into LARPing for a couple years um, uh, in sort of like end of middle school um, into high school and then there was a long um, portion where I didn't do any games and then I got invited by a theater company about four years ago to uh, they were doing a fundraiser where uh, it was live D&D people were playing D&D in front of an audience oh which cool I, and they invited me because I know I'm a dork and I was like like oh, Harmon Quest cool. sort of but it was D&D yeah. you know it was like you know uh, you know 5e 
Um, they were just playing tabletop in yep, front of tabletop cool. in front of an audience, which I didn't I didn't think they would work. Um, but as it turns out, the audience was so into it. It was a crowded <laughs> audience. It was really fun. The That's audience amazing. could pay three dollars and buy potions for the people, <laughs> and the potions were shots of alcohol. So we all got really drunk, also. So that was fun. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, so okay, I, can we just do that? Yeah, let's do that from now on. So I got into um, so that was a taste of D and D. But then um, really, uh, Eric, it was when you invited me to join your D and D game that, that I really started to get enmeshed. Was that your first things. character? It really was. Was yeah. Sorrow oh, your other sort of characters? Yeah, Sorrow. Oh, I'm so, I'm so honored. You guys, my wait, first love. You have to tell us about Sorrow. Can you describe, can you describe Sorrow to the audience? Really, really um, Sorrow is a lot like me. Um, Sara is a 17, or when we started, when you started she, was, she was 17, she's a 17-year-old Typhleen, she, her, and um, she's seven feet tall, and a paladin, and a charger, and is reckless. I think yeah. <laughs> I would reckless. also add dramatic. dramatic. <laughs> she's dramatic. At one point, she's she reckless. stood over an endless pit and brooded for an action. Yes, yes. She, she has definitely killed someone, used Revivify to bring and, them back to and life, killed and then them again. killed them again. <laughs> Which is a waste of a very expensive spell. Um, uh, uh, so um, Sorrow is a delight to play. And she's the, the mother of, of a teenage Orcus. Yes, absolutely. She gave birth to her, because she's also the daughter of Orcus, if right. you recall. So she was the daughter that's of Orcus. interesting family tree that's a circle. <laughs> it sure, it sure is. Kind of um, Orcus was killed in an event that maybe we shouldn't talk about. Right. Um, it's a little bit sensitive. Guys. Yeah, I'm looking at you. It's all right. Hey, it's all right. Um, uh, um, I'm sorry. So Orcus was killed. She was distraught, but then she got a mystical pregnancy and gave birth to her father. Ah, which is so Greek. Mystical pregnancy. Um, um, so I can't believe we just said those <laughs> words. So our, our, game, our game takes uh, turns for the interesting all the time because mm-hmm. it's populated by dramaturgs and actors and writers and, and some, and, and we, we laugh a lot. But too, Jesse, I got to commend you. I had no idea that was your first... Did I know that? I might have known that was your first game, but you really kind of like expertly... Uh, jump in sort of you're a good sport about your yeah, it's you an dive honor. In, so it's, I mean, it's like, great you know we oh, can't tell it has been an education yeah for, over the past three years i've like you know learned a lot more about D, especially over the pandemic and yeah. you've since played a couple other games over the yep. pandemic yep. right absolutely there's another game that i play with an amazing dungeon master zach murphy hey there um um, oh, um and in that game i play angling for xp he is <laughs> um, um uh, uh, in that game i play Bobrin, who is a bard Okay. Um, and he's a pathological liar. <gasps> he's course. a playwright. Of course. He's a halfling. <laughs> um, I love uh, it. He uses a lot of bard skills to try and trick people into things. All of his powers are about manipulation. Wow. Uh, tricking people. And he does immoral things in order to his biggest goal is to write the most amazing play ever. So he'll say yes to anything. So he creates drama so that he can write about that it. That is exactly oh. That is amazing. That's a great concept. This is a great story. This is actually a theater and storytelling story. This so is amazing. It's worlds within worlds within worlds. There was like the um, uh, um, uh, um, a non-player character who came in, and he had found he'd um, learned the, the, our group of fighters is, is called Imagine Dragons. Um, uh, and um, <laughs> judge if you want, um, but Imagine. Okay, Dragons. Okay, okay, okay. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Imagine Dragons. Yes. You know we have a we have a I guess Imagine Dragons is this week's most D and D song ever. Now I gotta go listen. Now to we gotta listen Dragons. to some Imagine Dragons. That's, that's <sighs> so we ran into a um, a character who had 
been hearing about us and had been taking notes. He was like a bard or something like that, or a cleric or something. But he had been taking copious notes of all the stories he had heard about us, and he was trying to compile it into a big story. And so he was anthologizing. He was you. anthologizing, but that was really close to what Bobrin was that's doing. What, that's your like that's Bobrin your turf. Had been writing up is writing a play about Imagine Dragons, and so Bobrin got very very jealous. And then the guy was kind of shady, and then so Bobrin killed him. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, Bobrin took him. Wow, Bobrin just straight up murdered and then, an NPC. And then you heard stole, it here first, guys. Then stole his diary secretly, read through it, you know. And you then plagiarized? No, then no, he okay, burned okay. it. He was just like, <laughs> no one will see this trash. My story will be the only story. And then we buried them in the And he went. That's amazing. Poof. Yeah, that's out, it. Out that's, 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 that's incredible. Um, so what, what in Dungeons and Dragons do you think is are the things that you lean towards that are skills that you use in your job as dramaturg and artistic director like mm -hmm. what how do you utilize your skill sets that you've described to us in the game well i think you know the thing the things that i enjoy the most is understanding the world that's created and understand all the options and then taking all the sort of options that you want to do the um the improv nature yeah. of dungeons and dragons and how it's like collective storytelling yeah that's what that's what i think i'm getting to is that like i love the aspects of collective storytelling that i'm like it's it's as it's if like we jamming are. in a band right yes. like with or, a story or it's right? being like in being in a collaborative theater company mm -hmm. where we're all going to create this piece you know, this mm -hmm. this theater piece. But like ideas are coming from everywhere and we're compromising and sometimes we're coming into conflict and sometimes I win or you win and we're all negotiating what the entire big story will be. And there's one sort of person that could be called the generative artist. You know, they have like, you know, I'd say that the, the dungeon master has laid down the, the cobblestones along the road. Mm -hmm. But any of us can decide to yeah. run off the road if we're yeah. assholes. Right? Yeah. A lot of us are assholes. And like, so we can run off the road and adapt. We prefer it. agents of chaos. Agents of chaos. <laughs> um, but I love how we're telling the story together, which is exactly what theater is too. You know, like you can't do it alone in theater unless you're doing a one person show where you're the director and the lighting designer and the sound designer. Right. I don't know what even, to say. No, the, like, even yeah, then, even, even then. a one person you show. Even a one person show. Needs. That's really a five person show or a four person yeah, show. Yeah, exactly. You'll need yeah. some people. You need someone you to need run some Lights, yeah, yeah. At least. Totally. You can design everything, but who's going to hit go? You know. Um, right. So you, in, in the theater, you have to um, collaborate with other people. You have to get along with other people. You have to be able to explain your vision to other people and um, compromise and, a little in a yes, on an yeah. encounter or an action. How do you how do you help? How do you smooth over conflict and like because like I there's not a lot of conflict in our game between players, but I know sometimes like some long term games, people artistic people get in conflict with each other how do you how do you resolve conflict how would you as a dungeon master how would you resolve conflict if you were if you were in a game let's say phagers and my characters both wanted the staff of of tumultuous power <laughs> aptly named the staff and, of breaking and we're really up really like hardcore arguing about it like how do you how Yoko do you, Ono. if i was a dungeon master uh -huh. and i'm not quite sure if that this would be my technique. Maybe this is my technique dramaturgically too. But if I was a dungeon master, the person who tells the best story wins. If you uh -huh. like, you know, break down why you should get it and explain it, then you win. Whatever is the most logical, whatever makes the most sense. And I would say in dramaturgy, it's, you know, the best idea wins the day. 
You know, it doesn't matter who the best idea is coming from. Um, when you're collaborating with people, it's the idea. Think about the idea, push the ego to the side. The best idea wins the day. But it also has to like live within the truth and the limits of whatever the thing exactly. is. Exactly. The right? best yeah. idea will be the like, one can't that be fits like, the best. You know what? I'm a Martian from no other evidence <laughs> well, in the text. In, in, our <laughs> game, in our game, you could probably get away with it. Well, in our uh, game, yeah. Maybe not in Henry V. <laughs> <laughs> and in Dungeons & Dragons, there are Tyrannosaurus Rexes also, which makes no sense. The new D&D, the 5E, has been so uh, much more inclusive of everything. It feels like uh, almost a Ready Player One universe uh, because, you know, you can have, if your DM allows it, you, you have rules for, like, laser sniper rifles or yeah. T-Rexes. Yeah, or, but, I mean, also as a, as, a, as a playground for identity, I think it's, a, it's such a wonderful... There are like just like so many like areas that I could go into as a tabaxi Absolutely. that you can't necessarily as a. I think know. I think it's really interesting. Um, and like you know, playing the. Are two you talking characters. about licking your own? Yeah, bits, well, that, I was gonna I was gonna go wah wah. wah. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, do the do the do the, the no no the other. One. Oh wait, I got I I know what you're saying. I'm a yeah. Oh, I'm a happy tabaxi. <laughs> <laughs> What do you that do for your great. round? I'm just going to groom myself. Again? <laughs> I mean, playing the different sort of characters, I love playing the two games that I play because like Sorrow and Bobrin share nothing in common. They would actually hate each other if they met. Um, <laughs> and it's so fun to be able to express oneself in different ways um, and express like identity and like, you yeah. know, really get into character and let that character make the choices. Because I think D&D is similar to acting in the way that you sh you need to play your character. Right. What would your character do? It's not about you. Set aside your ego. It's about the character. Let the mm -hmm. character make the decisions. Even if those decisions, we all know they're bad decisions. And they're all going to lead to like something. Yep, Bobber yeah. makes terrible decisions every single game that I just But it makes for a good story, make. right? I exactly. mean, that's the interesting yeah. thing about it. I mean, like, I've, I know some people play D&D &D to like win, to be strategic. Like, no, you play this action and this is what you, you know, use your bonus action and then you do this and then you sneak attack. And like, but like, if I don't want to do that, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to pull this guy's pants down as an action. Yeah. Also, what does winning mean? What does, in D&D, in &D, what is winning? Yeah. Right, exactly. And I, I don't know where that... I'll say this. The nerd community has had its toxicity problems mm -hmm. and it thinks that maybe this is like tied into that. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I'm speaking out of class or out of turn, but like, yeah, I think that like the more inclusive it gets, the more it has room for all of this stuff that we're talking about, this broader vision of winning that's not just like get all the XP, get all the loot, or, you know, get the levels as fast as possible. I don't I don't even know what the point, get through the module. Maybe like there's an OCD complete 100% element well, to it. I mean, I know you're talking about like the colonizer players, basically. Yeah. I guess, yeah. Player <laughs> as colonizer. <laughs> yeah, wow, we've, yeah, yeah, really, yeah. we've really oh, broken wow. ground today here on, on Bard Quest Empire. <laughs> Are you a colonizer player? Okay, so we've talked a little about character. Can you talk about like pulling the arrow back on, on, on world building. Like, you know, I've mm -hmm. always found that preparation, like, you know, knocking the arrow is easy for me. Pulling it back is easy for me. But sometimes in the execution, I miss the, I miss the target. Like I've always found that I can do a lot, a lot, a lot of preparation, mm -hmm. but, in, but I, I will often lose the target, uh, in the, in the, in the details, like how do you how do you help a, an artist, you know, get that, orient themselves? Yeah, again? It must be so interesting because with um uh, because no matter how good of a dungeon master you are, you will miss things 
there will be holes. And if you're playing with creative characters, we'll find the holes. We'll right. exploit every single thing uh, that you didn't think about. That's um, what she said. So- <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we need to request a shorter sound for that. Oh, I don't know. It's it's pretty great how long it is. Um, That's also what she said. <laughs> Eric is wondering how. Thanks for coming back to Bard Quest know, Empire. It, it's, it's my own fault. I'm your co No, it's okay. setting me up. It's, I just. <laughs> no, but like, um, but like, I we were talking about losing the thread. Yes, losing the thread. Okay. Um, but like, <laughs> if you're a dungeon master, Casey. <laughs> like, really, there should be dungeon master dramaturgs because the the way that I work with it, someone artist, to whisper in the DMs ear, or like, or someone to be to ask Scale questions, uh-huh. you know, before we get to the game, because that's ex- essentially what I do as a dramaturg. I sit with, um, you know, a writer, for example and they tell me about their world and sometimes it's a science fictional world a lot of people write about tomorrow and that's science fiction but even it's a world about yesterday you know i ask them questions about the world you know if it's about a family who lives on the block in the bronx in you know the sort of 1920s which is a recent play that i worked on um Mm -hmm. last year um i was just like oh so how poor is this block? Oh, is this how the poor? What do they do for a living? Is there crime that happens on the block? Oh, so this is a mixed race family. How do people um, uh, perceive them? Are there black people, other black people in the neighborhood? Do they view right. the light skinned person as black or not um, black? Or do they have ties to the South? I just ask so many questions. Yeah, yeah. An wow. obnoxious amount of questions. And as they do, they answer it. And I'm like, and every time I'm like, oh, that's interesting that, you know, they don't view that person as black. I didn't see that in the play. Do you want me to see that in the play? Right. How Great. do I see that, in the, that in the play? Right. You know, I'm uh-huh. like, kind of percolating questions. all these bubbles with yeah. all these questions. It's like being a psychologist, really. You know, um, in some ways, so you just keep on asking questions. And as you ask questions, you find the holes. And you eventually, um, uh, you work with a, a generative virus, and you'll both sense, oh, this is an area that we didn't think about. Huh? We right. just found an area that needs another scene, that uh-huh. needs another character. You know, and the um, as you begin to build the world, the world will demand things of you. You'll be like, oh, the plot has to go this way if we just figured this out. Mm-hmm. You know, um, or we'll say, oh, we need a character. Or as it turns out, this character isn't as important as you. You give this character a lot of stage time, and we don't need to because the play's about something else. The world demands you know this you know it's, it's so so a lot of what you're talking about maybe this gets back to the buddhist thing you know because i i too am a buddhist i came uh i didn't come through it via uh via montana but <laughs> we but, can't all be perfect but i you know it, it this idea of letting go you know coming from the midwestern background that i came from it was it was you know a depression era people who didn't want to let anything go mm-hmm. uh, uh like those are the those are the elders who sort of raised me Mm. um and and the idea of letting go is so important when you're playing a game of dungeons and dragons i mean it's important to like sort of hew to certain like standards and rules and stuff Mm. like that but but you it is it is a lot about letting go right because maybe you want things to really go one direction yourself but it's risk it's the roll of the dice you don't know what's going to happen you have to be prepared to roll that one or the 20 right like you could like fumble some this big thing that you're there are fail safes in there for a lot of characters maybe that's what we're working on individually as players like okay i don't want to fail too much so i have three luck points yeah yeah <laughs> yeah 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 well but that i mean that keeps that, keep, that kind of stuff keeps me on my toes too but i i just think letting go of like big ideas yeah. for the betterment of a story i seems... really feel that because like of course in dungeons and dragons it might be that you roll a one and mm-hmm. you had this amazing thing you were going to do this yeah. happens to me all the time with sarah that i have an yeah. amazing dramatic thing that i right. do and then i roll a one and then it's 
it just doesn't <laughs> happen, you know. Or even when um, you're playing a game, if you're playing a game with other clever people, you know, you have something that you want to have happen, but so do they. Yeah, you know, so that uh-huh. they have a, a, it's an opposition yeah, or an exactly, and they might do something, something. That, that changes your plan. So you have yeah. to just let it go. You have to let go of the thing that you thought was going to happen because the story took us in a, in a different direction. Um, you can't be a control freak about like you know about guiding those things. Hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there is a, it, it's interesting The more experienced I've, I've gotten as, as a dungeon master, I think the better storyteller I've become in my screenwriting and, and playwriting mm-hmm. life as well. Um, you know, I don't think about event as just, a, I don't think about things as event driven anymore. I think about them as character driven. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a richer place for me to sort of ultimately work from, but definitely dungeon mastering with with great actors and great dramaturgs and storytellers is like it's kind of one of the reasons we wanted to start this show so we could talk about this kind of stuff can you talk about um about uh, uh some more uh, uh fantasy influences that have been in your life like what about what about we talked a little about dune coming up mm-hmm. i know that you have the star trek thing are there other movies that you that are important to you as a as a creative what are you, you know? watching or right plays? now what are you into right now what am i watching sci-fi. right now um well i'm constantly in marvel as a lot of us are, you yes. know, I mean, like a moment of silence for our lives. Is, Marvel yeah. just like is like it comes out with TV shows every other day, and it's it's got me hooked. But the thing that I loved about Marvel, if it's is its universe, they literally it's the universe they, building. they built a beautiful yeah. universe in That's a way that eleven the years DC can't more. do. Yeah, right. No, it's more. I think it's isn't it eighteen years 18 or something? Maybe, it's yeah. insane, you know, in a way that DC can't do. You know, mm-hmm. sorry DC, they, they, they just haven't been able to sustain and build a universe. You know, their animation is uh, a little strong, but there's not mm-hmm. as much content continuity even in that yeah. in the dc universe. yeah they don't connect like, they one of my set everything every one time. of my favorite dc universe things is a is about the uh, alternate reality uh, super team that's like the justice league uh they're called oh, you mean like the weird the authority italian no uh, no superman is, I, love like, I love the authority no there's a there's a there's a there's a superman who's like kind of from the bronx and Wonder Woman is Wonder Woman is different. She's her name is Power Woman in this other world. It's kind of like uh, instead of Batman, it's Owl Man. It's basically the boys. Oh. Yeah, and they're, it's like they're they're like a super criminal team that's taken oh. over the world. It's a great, huh. Huh. you know, but 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 it's basically an Elseworld title, right? Yeah, it is an Elseworld Elseworld type thing. But you know, but okay. So, what is your favorite Marvel character then? Who's your favorite currently? Oh gosh, my favorite Marvel character. And um, what class are they? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I will say, I have to say the classes, you know, in D&D apply to real life and apply to, you oh, know, yeah. all sorts Characters of other things. And like other models and yeah, things like so, that. so, so very We well. talk about using the alignments a lot. Do you ever find yourself using yep, D&D Alignments um, work, you know, when, when you talk about characters and plays and everything. Oh, but wait, wait, Marvel character. I have to say that like, you know, I would say traditionally, you know, Professor X... Uh-huh. As, a, as a character that I like, I like it because he is um, uh, he is good. I don't think he's lawful good though. Right. Um, like, well, he he, Professor X will do anything that's necessary to protect the X Men. Neutral know? good. Yeah, he's neutral good. He does terrible things. Yeah. Like he's like you know he's just kind of like dad um, oftentimes, and he helps out right. with the team. But then sometimes he the team will discover yeah he's done horrible things. Like, yeah. He's imprisoned you know um, sort of AI you know new life forms you know because mm-hmm. he knew that the world couldn't handle it. He makes the tough decisions, and then everyone Heavy gets is the mad head at him. that wears the crown. Absolutely, back to Henry. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You know? And what Henry would you five, think? What sorry. class would he be? Is he a, he's a, is he's he a, a warlock? Psionic, right? He hasn't. He's, no, he's a wizard. I wizard. Think. 
Booker. Yeah. Definitely he's a, a he would be a wizard. Yeah, he's like yeah. bookish. <laughs> um, uh, like he, he's a wizard. He's definitely not a warlock. Well, it's not from study. Well, he doesn't right? have a so pact maybe with... it's a sorcery. Thing. No, I think it's from study. He's a professor. But his power isn't from study. Right? It's it's from well, it's literally well, from none the, of the, genes. Powers. the genes. So maybe yeah. sorcery would be the or maybe sorcerer well, be would be more. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. See that that stuff always interests me. Well, what other things? What other things are you watching now? Is um, I also I'm I'm really into Star Trek Discovery. Um, uh, I I think it's really good. I think it's some of the best star, new Star Trek that's been made. That's uh, the, the twenty CBS years. All, uh, all, um, I CBS think they access? moved to to Paramount. Oh, they did. Okay. They did. Anthony raps on that one. right? Yes, he totally is. Um, uh, he's great in it. You know, Can they talk about the mycelium the network. Oh my god, that's exciting. Um, but like you know, um, um, they talk about the mycelium network a lot, which is the network of mushrooms that connects all life. Huh. I'm really into mushrooms. I'm really into the mycelium network right now, just okay. conceptually. My <laughs> so, boyfriend and I go to Greenwood Cemetery and one weekend they have a Greenwood map Cemetery of the mycelium, the network. mycelium network, and you're you're super oh, fan. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you're a druid, basically. You're in, right, life. in real life. You're... In real life, I don't know what I am. How would in you real stat life. yourself? What class would you give yourself? I'm not a wizard. Um, bard. Uh, uh, God, that's so predictable. Uh, maybe um, you're a bard a combo, like a you know a bard, patron some, of bards, a bardificer. I think I, I think I actually have to be a bard. I think we're all you're part bards. Bard. All kind yeah. of bards. We're all kind. Of, um, but you write Maybe too, a bard I mean, monk, so. a bard cleric, since you help people. You're a cleric of the arts, I think. A bard oh, cleric. that's very nice. It is. I you're like very you very much so i've never played the cleric huh interesting I, i'd like it's to play an interesting class right i think it kind of gets uh, pigeonholed into like all you do is heal but there's no, so tough. many options yeah, yeah they, they can fight and stuff i think i'd like to play a cleric or maybe i think my next character is going to be a barbarian <gasps> oh I that's know. so exciting i think i want to be a berserker just oh that's you know, exciting yeah don't think swing first exactly ask questions blood dripping Maybe from never, the mouth right. you know even more chaotic than sorrow <laughs> enough talking <laughs> yeah. jesse hate talk jesse jesse smash. Smash. so you want to play the hulk basically i really do yeah. yeah um l- let me ask you with sorrow because i did this for the longest time in the game i would misgender your character <laughs> yeah, it's such a I know, you know it's such an interesting learning experience uh what did that feel like or how did that what was that uh choice about why what why did you choose to play a female character totally yeah and can you talk about well it? I, I, gosh if i'm honest um i played the female character because i could right and uh-huh. i can't be a woman like, in real life not? and Let i think try it out. yeah i think it was interesting i wanted that sort of um dynamic in the sort of game i was like oh i think i should play a woman character um uh, it, yeah, it was just a sort of impulse. I mean, D&D gives you those sort of options. Though. Right. These options of playing things that you could never play in real life, you know? Like playing a woman and being like, I oh, know I'm going to be a powerful ass-kicking woman, you know? Because I love powerful ass-kicking right. women. You <laughs> I'm going to have a tail and horns and I've leather. i to be and, Buffy right, the yeah. Vampire Slayer. And now I can be <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, that's amazing. So, but, like, but like in terms of um, misgendering, of course, I'm not sensitive about that because it's not me. Right. You know? So it's um, an interesting kind of playground, not playground, or a lab to like learn that yeah absolutely one of the questions i've been pulling out mm-hmm. um every so often when we have these uh if you could play D with anyone living or dead if you could like set up a table and have like three other people to play D with who would they be okay um i would play D um because i think it has to be an imagine like people with imagination there's yeah. a lot of people who are great in history and it who can be like a character too. it doesn't have to be like a necessarily confined to like oh, yeah Luke Skywalker, Jesus Christ, Abraham Lincoln. Oh my Lincoln. God, oh God. Okay, 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 okay. I would play D&D with... Eric's brain's going to... I know, I know. It's a little bit like... It's a little bit intense. I think okay. it's going to happen. I would play D&D... Okay, I got it. Um, with Rumi. 
Ooh, no. the um, poet. Uh, yeah, he's a poet. He's got a lot of like yeah. ideas. And he's and gonna stuff. play the barbarian. He would play oh, a barbarian. <laughs> no, he, would, he would play a bard. He's full of poetry. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, I would play and um, Shakespeare. Ooh, oh, very good. I think Shakespeare has yeah. a good imagination. He's very you know? imaginative. Um, yeah, he could come up with also characters. riff on something. Um, and Malcolm X. Oh my god, that's amazing! Because <laughs> I think that he would have fun. Yeah, I think he would actually. He be would be all for like social justice and just like. Yeah, but he's also you know he was like you know I would say lawful, lawful good. Yeah, I, th- I think Malcolm X is lawful good in such a way that of lawful he was just like this is the way he had a hard line. Yeah, um, so I play. I think he'd play a really stubborn character. Huh, like a paladin that just will not ha- is not taking any of it. Yeah, like Tame in the Paladin, um, which is a Paladin that we played. Uh, that, uh, in uh, um, the other, in your other family, in the, other, in, uh, the, in other, the other family. I'm, yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm not jealous at all. That that's an. Imi- I mean, <laughs> you're no, in it am, too. I'm, I'm I'm in the game as well. I learned it from I, watching I don't you, mean Dad. That, not just, I mean, is it? It's could you tell that there's subtext underneath that? I don't like. <laughs> Well, you know, it's amazing how many people that we run into, how many storytellers we run into, professional storytellers like yourself that we know that 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 actually play Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, what is uh, what has um, playing Dungeons and Dragons taught you about just being in the world in general? Do you think those skill sets have well? Sort and of... if you want to expand on that, maybe what does that translate to your artistic life, mm-hmm. and how does that? Well, I think an interesting thing about playing Dungeons and Dragons for fun, which is what we're doing, yeah. right? We we play Dungeons and Dragons for fun, is that. I do I do storytelling for fun. I do storytelling for work. Um and like and like and I love my job because I get to do storytelling and that's what I love because in my free time, look, I'm spending, you know, six hours a week with you people yeah. doing Dungeons and Dragons also. And diving into different worlds helps me relax. Mm-hmm. It helps me throw off my troubles and feel good about um the world that that I'm in. So that's definitely been a sort of like interesting revelation. It's interesting but, that you make the distinction between like storytelling for like work and for fun because it's like th- in this environment D and D you can do exa- absolutely whatever you want. And in work yes. you are kind of always telling someone else's story. You have that is a really good point because I was going to also say, well, I also read comic books, you know, and then I also watch, you know, science fiction television. I yeah. read novels and stuff, but I don't have but control of those that. things. You're yeah, not, I'm consuming yeah. them. You know, that's interesting. Even at good, work, I'm working with someone else's yeah. vision. Dungeons and Dragons, um, you know, feels like I'm participating in the vision. Mm-hmm. It helps. Uh, I'm helping to build this sort of story. And I wish that it was like, you know, I wish there was a physical manifestation of it afterwards, like a gigantic like novel, a book you know? Um, <laughs> uh, but it only I mean, that's the, in our hearts and that's the critical role dream, right? Like, aren't they doing that? They are doing a cartoon series based on their adventures as well. Oh, they're probably doing, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're doing a novelization and all sorts of other things. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, let's, because hmm. uh, critical role became very important to a lot of people during the pandemic, but so did playing. Can you speak to the experience of when, of that time, walk us through the time we're here in new york city uh, we locked down kind of before anybody else did and oof, oof, oof. you know um I, you don't have to talk about the super difficult stuff if you don't want to but we we we, we discovered something playing during the pandemic yeah i mean like like the pandemic hit i'm not telling anyone any of y'all anything you don't already know but the pandemic hit and everything got taken away yeah everything you know all our work which is storytelling theater being in the room with other people mm-hmm. um uh, for me you know going out dancing nightclubs all of that gone certain measures is still kind of not entirely yes, back absolutely. Right? so yeah we're all um, kind of but um but D, I have to say and the quickness 
at which, you know, both of my dungeon masters hit the ground running and be like, let's play. Come on, right. let's play. You're all in and the so, same place. And like, we all it's have time. It's not like time. you're busy. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, we have nothing to do. We all have time. So, like, that became, I played Dungeons and Dragons every Saturday and every Sunday for a year. You know, for like four or five hours a game, wow. it became a part-time job. It, yeah. it became my entire weekend, and that was delightful. That gave me like it gave me purpose. It gave my did it, it gave feel shape. like a vent or some kind of way to exercise what you weren't getting professionally? It was it it, did for me. I don't know. I don't want to speak it, for you. It, it totally was something to exercise my sort of storytelling mm -hmm. muscles and character building. It was also a total escape. It was like also unplug from reality for a little yeah. while and go into a different world where you're playing a different character and just commit to that character, make wild decisions, you know, yeah. and work out the sort of tensions um, that you're having. It was like such a beautiful bomb, you know, um, to be able to, to do that and really uh, readjust myself. And it's, and it's wild how much I did it too. Like it was like it took over my entire weekends and, and that was lovely. I gave my weekends to Dungeons yeah, and Dragons. I mean, oh, wow. I would do it again. Honestly, I, I, yeah. I would totally. too. I would too. Well, I mean, I, I I missed seeing all of you, and I I missed I missed creating, but I certainly missed casual interaction too. Mm -hmm. And you know, the 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 just the ability to hang out with you guys in a virtual room with totally. no in in a really honestly, I will say it's a good as a placeholder, way. but nothing beats the real thing. I got I, yeah, I really yeah. do <laughs> enjoy our live sessions as well. Uh, I like playing online. It's a different flavor. It feels like a different thing. Can you speak to that? What does it feel like playing online? Yeah, because I, I, I do both. For you? Um, uh, uh, they are definitely different flavors. Um, they have different strengths um, to them. Uh, the, the online platforms, um, Roll20 is, is a pretty amazing sort of uh, platform. It's a great interface, right? Um, um, you just um, have all your stuff there. Especially um, the way in which Zach um, uh, uses the whisper features. He, uh, there's a lot of secrets oh, going so on. Oh, so you know information <laughs> oh, yeah. that your party members Everyone don't. doesn't know. Unless you're actually standing next to each other, you won't hear everyone like, you know... <laughs> You won't hear the things that are actually happening to people, which makes it very tricky, you know, and that's fun. And it's also, it makes the rules easier to, to use because you can just click buttons and it rolls things um, for you, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so so that's good. Um, but and then you don't have actual dice. No clickety-clacks. Nope, there, there's no, um, well, they have a virtual dice that goes on the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're like, oh, pshia. Um, but I will say <laughs> one, the, um, in, and then on the other hand, playing in real life, you know, you actually have the actual dice. You also, you know, Eric, you're, you're boards. I don't know if you all have talked about we've Eric's. talked about eric being a human 3d printer but yeah, nobody kind of gets totally. the sense of it like he creates the these, sculpting the painting these like light up boards with bioluminescent mushrooms and like the detail. statues that have been that, that are artistic it's like expression. i swear i think you went back in time to age some of those statues and just kind of <laughs> left them like sun because like I, you could carbon date some of those guys and well like, this i mean it's 500 years old yeah <laughs> no i've i've got no i've got a i've got a you know i grew up with uh, um, uncles and aunts all of whom were sculptors and painters mm. so instead of learning to like fix cars like my buddies did I learned to make art you know so That's you beautiful know. and it shows in the sort of detail of the maps and you've got the yeah. our little characters didn't he show me on around. one of his on the the crates that he made for one of our settings the other day he made little plaques for like labeling the crates yeah <laughs> they look like you know like I wanted them to look like on the inside of an Indiana Jones you know like the crate always has some mysterious label on so it so that if stamp, a player you know? goes Goes up to a crate and goes, "Hey, what does this say? You can have something I can, I can standing have them, by." I, yeah, you I can, can have like, that's amazing. And like nobody did, but that's a that's great attention to detail. And if you're out there DMing, you know, 
take notes, guys. But but you know, during the pandemic, I had to I had to let my old ways go. Because mm-hmm. because I couldn't rely on you know I did 3D stuff with for you guys a, a couple lot of, of theater times, of the mind but it, right but it was yeah. all yep, theater totally. of the mind so it, it it just I had to lean into a different kind of storytelling which is then. interesting because it's talking mm-hmm. it's just talking you know which is like you know of course like how storytelling has been happening for the last right. three thousand years is people just talking to each other you know and like and you imagine what it is you know so like the online thing you know has that going for it you know i agree with you there's nothing like hanging out with people and just jamming because yeah. when you're playing Dungeons and dragons also you're hanging out with your friends yeah and, and you're, you're like just joking off of each other's you know? energy and you're and, like and even if it's Margaret and sorrow interacting well it's yeah. also jessica Jesse and jesse interacting yeah um so like it, it, it might be our characters but it's you know us behind the characters so we're just hanging and joking anyway um so that's also delight it's acting but we're the audience for each other in a yeah way. yeah exactly yeah, like, well i mean that's it, it sustained us that's one of the things that i missed you know was was being able to be in a theater and it was like we were all in a little theater together like improvising a play um Okay, so I have a very specific question. If you were going to dungeon master something right now, what what world would you be most excited to explore if you got to design your own? Like, you could be based on the books or based on stuff that you know already, but like what, what, kind, of, what kind of adventure would you... I, I would actually say, I know that there's a lot of different kinds of um, Dungeons and Dragons, and you could set it um, um, any place. And I find that to be really interesting. Um, uh, so I think that I would set a Dungeons and Dragons game in present day New York City, but you still play all the, 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 the classes the aren't changed. The classes. Yeah, the, the classes aren't changed. You know, it's New York City populated by. You know, tieflings and tieflings and like and you know, that's orcs and, and humans and elves and half yeah, elves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't yeah. there a comedy? Central? The drow would all be all through the subway. I mean, you can think about New York City like that. You know, God knows I run into a gremlin here and there. You know? <laughs> well, I've said I've there's said, all sorts of fairies running around the streets. <laughs> hey, oh, 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 oh. What's up, fairy? <laughs> but, but I would make you play Dungeons and Dragons. Cats. You would have quests around New York City. Oh, um, that's and great. Because I've been in New York City for 24 years now. Would the dragon be really... like the CFO of Goldman Sachs oh or God, something? How beautiful. Like... You, could, you could imagine all sorts of different things. And I could guide you through New York City. I know wow. the you know cities. I know the streets. Yeah, right, you know, right, right, and I could right. throw up That's obstacles. That's kind of amazing. Too. I want to play in that game. That sounds like a fun game. If you yeah. ever decide to do that, I'd love you know, to I, play. I, like I would love to play to be a dungeon master. Um, and I think that I have the imagination to be a dungeon master and the um, instincts, you know, for impromptu sort of things and but, the skill but, set for research. But yeah, but like you know what the rules of Dungeons and Dragons, like I, I don't know them well enough. I feel like I need to. I think I need to buy some of the. They're books more of a guideline kind of a lot them. of times. Yeah, to be honest. I, I don't I don't like I, I'm sure a lot of hardcore gamers will like probably get pissed at my gaming style but like if I don't know a rule exactly I'll call it I'll call yeah. the rule like I see it yeah. and 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 then learn later that it's different and I'll adjust you know I don't I don't know everything give I me know. a couple of years of okay, playing Dungeons right. and Dragons a little bit more and I need to play some different characters and stuff you know my berserker mm-hmm. you know which you could totally learn play your berserker classes, in New York City. learn your different classes exactly yeah. you know because um, they do, do all have like prep. Yeah, they do all have kind of like their ins and outs and their ways mm-hmm. that I don't know if they game the system, but they can definitely like use their skills to great effect or or not, mm-hmm. or and and like how do you make that work narratively? What is the thing that that keeps that? 
player in character and serving what the character wants. Is that on the DM? Do you find that's on the DM or do you find that's on the character to create? It is sometimes a collaboration. That- I think that a lot starts with the sort of character that you're building and stuff. But I think that the, the dungeon master has the license to run with it, you know, and yeah. run with it and tie you into different things. Because the dungeon master has this big plot, this big mega plot that they're building. Um, and so you are adding things into it, which means that the dungeon master, you're adding to the pot which means the dungeon master can grab your thing, tie yeah. it in, you know? Uh-huh. you know, And whether that means adding a cousin. Sometimes you knock over the pot altogether because I'm, you know what, we're going east. Like, wait, I prepared all this stuff. I know, yeah. I know. But like, but there are ways for a dungeon master to be like, okay, fine, you're going east. I'm changing things. Yeah. You know, to, to, like, to tie there, you back right, yeah. in, you know? Or the dungeon master can be like, an avalanche falls. We're <laughs> <laughs> like not it, going east. I like right. it when players come up with things like, oh my God, I think I recognize that guy. And you go, oh, you do recognize the guy. He's blah, blah, blah from such and such a school that you went to and he was your greatest rival. Now, is that you like know? just something that someone is saying kind of casually that you like seize upon as a DM or, or do you feel like it's... I just, you know, I feel like I've got, if I've got, if I'm with players who tr- who I trust, who trust me, mm-hmm. that when they throw me, you know, a bone like that, I'm going to pick it up and gnaw on it, yeah. you know? Like I, 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 but, you know, most of the time, now that we played together for a long time, all that stuff happens spur of the moment. I used to have to plan. I used to have to plan that stuff out a little more, you know. But yeah, no. But it's definitely a, a collaboration in terms of like you know, like when Zach gave Bobrin a character that was writing the same story that Bobrin was writing. Uh-huh. Zach huge, knew that Bobrin yeah. was incredibly jealous, you know, and will do anything to take out a rival. Bobrin has done terrible things to take out rivals. Now, what's your alignment in that game? Is that Was that counter to... Would Chaotic you a, neutral, I think. Oh, so uh-huh. it works. So you totally, like... Yeah, dude. In, in like, it's like, he's, not, he's not evil, but he's not good. Right. He's very and selfish. Like, this is in line with what he wants, and he's going to... Yeah. He's it was an extreme situation, and, like, you know... Yeah. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so I mean, like, a, so that was a collaboration, really. Yeah. You know, with Zach, right. like, like he, like, he and did it affect the rest of the game? Did it do something to the rest of the game? Um, yeah. The, the other characters. Through. I mean, I like, you They're know, like, hey, what happened to that writer? I <laughs> largely, Bobrin largely kept it hidden, the situation, wow. and lied to everyone and told everyone that, that he was much more evil because Bobrin got his diary, read his diary, then lied to say what's on the diary, then burned the diary. So there's so no, no one could read evidence. It. <laughs> the game hope is wicked. They, hope they aren't listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me ask you, as a dramaturg, do you are you taking stock of the larger story uh, as it's happening in in both of these campaigns? Are you like sort of, you know, in your head chronicling this thing, and and do you see overarching themes? You said something interesting in our game last couple nights ago which we'll ask in a second but yeah well i I think it's um the interesting thing about being a dramaturg and i'm sure a lot of you suffer from this because everyone like dramaturgy is also it's worth saying something that everyone does in the mm-hmm. sort of theater and storytelling. But you're doing it, it all the you time know, and, and you're better yeah, at it. It's, it's my job us, to do right? it all like the time. You're just using that muscle. But it means that like whenever I encounter a story, I dramaturg it. Whether it means like yeah, you know, it's a just story like someone tells me or the way you experience it. Whenever I encounter a story, it means that I start to dramaturg it. And it's hard to get me to stop and just enjoy a story and let it like mm-hmm. wash right over me. I'm always thinking about the arcs and the themes and what's connecting and what are the characters are doing and stuff. So definitely with the Dungeon Dragons games, I'm looking at the the arcs the the things that are happening and you notice the multi season yeah. arcs that yeah. are happening over the long like haul. what did you say you said the other, I don't know if it was you I think it was you that said it's interesting that you've become the that he was talking about my thief character has become the moral center of our group and 
it is fascinating. Exactly, fingers. Because it's when a contradiction, he started, right? he was um, uh, the least moral person. Everyone was extremely moral in the in the group, and we'd often have arguments because yeah. you would do bad things, and we would judge you for those bad, bad things. Quote, 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 unquote, unquote, okay, fine. whatever. No, but like like you would steal something. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you weren't someone. happy yeah. until it like I stole it for you, basically. Exactly. <laughs> well, and then our characters have gotten more powerful, and our characters and now it's just have had to make hard choices. Yeah, and now it's just a matter of fact that we're doing the illegal thing, and you're like, of course we're doing. Well, I, well and we're we're much stronger, and we also yeah. have much bigger goals and stuff. Yeah. And so we've decided it's okay morally for us to do this thing to kill. You know what was the demon birth thing that was happening? You know, I think that was, was the moment that where we baby were. Like, that yeah, it was, the, it was the it was the orc. <laughs> no, no. The orc. <laughs> The, or, the, the drow, no, no, the drow, the drow baby Jesus. I right. never referred to. to <laughs> oh, I think you insinuated it. <laughs> you made you put like three wise men in there and like some. <laughs> it was drow Jesus. If I've ever seen drow Jesus, the dramaturg from the dramaturg's mouth. You're gonna argue Somebody's with the Somebody's gonna pro? make a T-shirt with this on, and I'm not responsible. Well, we should get five percent interpretation of what I was doing. But like, but interesting enough, Sara was like, "This is going to be a problem. This is evil." Sarah has committed herself to destroying evil. So Sarah was gonna like kill the demon mom, kill the baby, kill everything. an innocent Where baby. Fingers was like, "What are you doing? Yeah, how could you do this?" And suddenly the tables are turned. Yeah, our moral alignments are right. suddenly swung far away from each other in the other direction. If you had to, what would you say the theme of of the Skullbusters campaign is, and what would be the theme of? I don't know what your group is with Zach, but what would you call them? Yeah, um, Imagine Dragons. Imagine Dragons, right? So Skullbusters and Imagine Dragons. Oh my god, these <laughs> names. Um, it's like the lineup for Coachella. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> let's see. Let's think about. Um, it's a long one. Let's think know. about um, the <laughs> Skullbusters and the sort of thematic um, uh, kind of arcs. Is like um, it's definitely stories about um, definitely uh, been bringing peace to different areas, right? And there's been a lot of babies. There's been, there's babies. been lots of babies, <laughs> lots of like mystical birth um, births. And there's a generational thing happening. There's um, a lots of sort of like uh, family connections and things um, coming back around characters. They were introduced way long before come back. It's about people tricking you. Uh-huh. You know, constantly. So things aren't weird. Oh my god! You know, I know. I, I, <laughs> I keep telling. I keep telling you the name Schemo Weird Bottle. Mm-hmm. That doesn't give it away. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's also the arc of like um, uh, um, how justice spreads outward. Right. Justice and goodness is actually spreading outward wherever we go. Huh. You know, we um, are helping to correct things and fighting for good and actually realigning these different places right. in, in, in a sort in of a successful way. way, you know? Um, so it, it's a kind of actually colonialist goodness, you know? It's coming out. <laughs> good colonialism. Sorry. It's the good kind of colonialism. Don't the worry, you guys. Colonialism, y'all. It's good colonialism. Um, we're, Don't worry. We're just spreading... <laughs> Whereas Imagine Dragons, I would say that there's definitely, you know, oh gosh, I think it's the themes of like, you know, there is imbalance in the universe, you uh-huh. know? Um, and that imbalance, this greater imbalance in the universe is, is causing horrible things to happen on Earth. Yeah. You know, oh, we so are like you've got like a great chain of being thing going on. How's that? There's like heaven and oh, stuff boy. and like, you know, angels and different universes. I don't even get it. So like as above, so below, if stuff is messed up upstairs, it's going to be messed well, up downstairs. That's the impression that, yeah. That, yeah. That, that I sort of get. You that's know? a Jack Kirby sort of like Greek approach to, to you know, the, the mm. gods are mm. angry. But I will say that that game is also about making hard decisions uh-huh. for the greater good, oh, making wow. utilitarian, like, yeah, stuff. or making doing something that seems terrible, but you have to do it. You have to make the, you have to pick the, the, the least decision. horrible thing that yes. you have to do, yeah. and it's just they're all horrible, but 
Wow. Or making the doing the tr- truly or horrible is it thing like, what is for the, the real Kobayashi good? dilemma? Is that the thing in Star Trek? Is oh, like yeah, the Kobayashi scenario? Yeah. Is it Kobayashi Maroon? The Kobayashi Maroon. Yeah. So absolutely. is it? You, but in that one, you know, he he cheats and gets out of the system. Do you feel like there was a way to not make a horrible decision? You people just didn't find it, or first or was of all, it I just love that you're talking about the Kobayashi. Hey, oh, <laughs> Star Trek. Just let me play um, the music uh, for you. <laughs> wait, wait, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's not the Kobayashi maneuver. That's what Kirk did that no, night. No, it's not the Kobayashi. Oh, uh, <laughs> too far away. That's true. Um, yeah, the Kobayashi thing is that you can't make a decision without killing some people. Right. You know, uh. essentially, and essentially, as a Star Trek captain, you will eventually have to make a decision where you know you sacrifice your crew members because you want to save the rest of them. And you have right, to be it's a holodeck that scenario decision. that's yep. referenced yeah, totally. in. Well, I think the new Star Trek, right? A, a number of them, actually. Yeah. You know, I'm also Diana Troy in Star Trek: Next Generation, when she's trying to become a commander. Oh, she's put Troy. in the exact same situation where she keeps on doing this thing, and it's not until oh. she kills. She I had a major crush on the that. actress that played Diana Troy. Why? <laughs> <laughs> no, really, when she was playing Diana Troy. Of yeah, course. of course. When I was a kid, like I was like coming of age. I don't and, think like, I had crushes on any Star Trek. There was no hot, hot boys in Star Trek. And don't say Wesley Crusher. I, I wasn't gonna. No. I, not even but, William Frakes. Totally. Come on, Riker. Riker. Yeah, no. Riker's, the beard. Riker's hot. Oh, okay. Riker doesn't do it for uh, you. I guess I don't know. I am not. No, I don't think he's hot either. I don't think there was a hot Sorry, on Star Trek. Sorry, William Frakes. I mean, come on. In his day, William Shatner was was pretty hot. In, in his but day. But that's not next generation. Oh, yeah, okay. That's next original. generation. That's original. I mean, I think. I mean, I'm sorry, but I think. I think uh, Captain Stewart. Picard. I think Patrick Stewart is just as hot as Still all. Still got that. it. I think yeah. he's sexy. I don't think he's hot. Okay. You heard it Are here first, guys. Are we gonna do guys. this for every, every <laughs> sexy boing? Arrow boing! Like you made a oh, point. Oh, you know, you're right. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe I missed the opportunity. Do you want to take that again? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but back to the Kobayashi maneuver. Maneuver, Maru. What is it? Well, I just said Kobayashi Maru. maneuver now, but Maru. But. I think that like um uh, no I think there's a lot of situations where um uh, like because uh, we've tried you know um the um Imagine Dragons has tried to get out of situations without killing that person you know or whatever no there isn't a way no there's not do you feel like tried. you didn't find it or it just was not there um it it felt like it, from my impression it wasn't there uh-huh. the 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 way to the thing to be wrestled with is are you going to do this thing or are you just going to let this evil exist? Now we have a unique situation where we have the DM in the room. Can we ask the DM this question? Yeah, I'll, I'll answer alternate. a question. I'll just, just really loosely, uh, quickly, our world uh, sort of based and started in Waterdeep. No, no, I'm asking Zach. Oh, Zach. And oh, yeah. if there oh, well, was any... See now, this is why... Take it easy. My feelings are... Take it easy. Well, I think... Yeah. I think the question for Zach is... The question for Zach is, was there a way where they wouldn't have had to kill... In a these, person. like, in, in a lot of these in sort of situations that we're in. So, sometimes, absolutely not. There's no way to get out of it. Uh-huh. There's some blood must be shed. Absolutely, there are points, but I didn't create the situation, the situation that led up to that. that led up to it, mm-hmm. right? All I don't create the situations. I offer opportunities, and the situations are created. Cool, cool, cool. cool. Sometimes dungeon masters are like non-interventionist gods. You know? Like they're God, but they're like, listen, I just put the pieces down on there, and that's how it played out. I'm yeah. just, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just hanging out here with the Watcher up on exactly, up, uh, exactly. Uh, My yeah. God, it's important to present the um, 
the illusory world with a series of real choices. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I that's I, a nugget. That's a t-shirt right there. Yeah, that, that's that. But could be a t-shirt. But that's a. It's it's a, okay. One one person that we interviewed was talking about it the other day, and you know, it's it's the it's the the the, the human part of it that you root the characters in, like the human behavior that you root them in, that really keeps the story moving. Absolutely, not it, the other way around. You know, I have to say, it's the reason why the Greek plays are just okay. <laughs> you know, because like because the Greek plays, all the Greek plays are all about the gods doing something and, and people like suffering from what the gods are doing. Uh-huh, you know? right. Um but in the end the most interesting thing about drama is watching people make choices. You know, and if you if you're in a situation where God has just done this thing to you and you have to do this. Right. There's not eventually, a lot of yeah, eventually that dialogue. gets boring. You know, you aren't you aren't a person who has a full autonomy over your decision. And some people believe that's how the universe is. God is just doing everything um to them. But I think that that's not a that's not a very exciting way to live or uh-huh. look at life, you know, or it's more interesting when people are making choices. Um, and, and even to watch if you're an audience member and you see a piece and God is just fucking with everyone's life, like the story of Job, you know, like, you know, if you see that on stage, ugh, not good, not a good play, you know, um, uh, <laughs> right. because like Job didn't do anything to have his kids die really, or, his, just, or, or get boils all yeah. over his skin. Who are you or supposed to lose all his money? It's, just, it's, yeah. it's yeah. two, it's two omnipotent beings betting. Basically, yeah. over yeah. over over what's how, whether this guy is going to stay. But or it's go. interesting that you because those aren't stories for entertainment; those are morality tales or mm-hmm. like sort of tales to like socially condition. Well, someone, they are, right? I mean really, they are like, now. I'm sure. I'm sure at some point in time there was a story that was rooted in in sheer entertainment that, that some that some the entertainment value of it was like oh this guy his whole family was slaughtered and his fields were burned and like man shit was dark back then i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh we we Wait, watch some we... pretty sad stories now too i guess um no but no but like it's um uh, like you know these these greek plays um were originally like stories about the gods you know they were religious i'm sorry pieces of uh-huh. work so you can understand how there weren't any choices in them, we right. were watching. We were watching a morality tale. Yeah. It's something that's going to teach us something about fate and stuff. This is how you behave because the gods will be angry if mm-hmm. you don't. Right. And then, and, like that's... and then, all of the religious theater moved into the realm of like t- talking about other stories mm-hmm. and entertainment and stuff. And that's, I think, when like you know um, uh, the sort of like uh, the the muscles of storytelling sort of worked in and how to make interesting stories that engage us and carry us um, along. But I will say that actually there's some um, religious storytelling that is better than the Greek and better than the Christian. You know, I would point us to Hinduism, actually. Uh-huh. And you, if you take uh, the Mahabharat, is like a beautiful story where people make choices all through it. The gods are interacting and betting and doing horrible god things like gods do, you know, and they're petty and small and human sort of gods. But like, you know, but the human beings are all making choices too. Bardquest Empire uh, does not endorse these opinions of the gods. But so there are other stories too that are that are outside of mm-hmm. the sort of like a Tolkien uh, tradition that 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 you know can be the sources of great uh, of great you know comfort for people in their lives, but also the source for story structure. Yeah, of, oh, my God. Know, oh, wow. oh, if you, I'd love to play a D and D game based on the Mahara. That would be insane. That would be insane. It would be so good because there's right? so many There's so characters. much magic and like already kind of in the world. And oh, there's like I'm, warriors. Everyone and... has superpowers. Yeah. You know? There's an entire family where every child in the family is um, a, a child of a different god. And so they wow. all have different yeah. superpowers based on the god that right, they are right, the child right, right. of. It's so they're the so X-Men. Cool. They're totally the X-Men. That's so cool. <laughs> um, no, that would be an amazing D&D campaign um, the, the, the placed in, you know, Hinduism. Ugh, that'd be badass. 
I, I could we could do two episodes with you easily. Um, uh, Jesse, I hope you'll I hope you'll come back. Of course, especially like who are can I can you just like tell us like who some of the people you're working with are now and, mm-hmm. and, and without being indiscreet. Um, and do you have anything you want to plug sure, or talk about? You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, let's see the people that I'm working with right now on some projects at the moment. Um, I'm a new play with Susan Laurie Parks that I'm dramaturging and that's really exciting. Um, called Plays for the Plague Year. She wrote a play a day oh, wow. for the pandemic. Wow. Um, and oh. so we're, we're going to be working on that. Um, and then um, uh, I'm working on a play um, uh, with uh, Charlie Yvonne Simpson, you know, at the Vineyard Theater, where I'm the social artistic director, which is a really exciting play. It's Hand Blasted, which is coming out in February 2022. And then I'm also working with um, uh, this um, experimental musician, Haig Papizan, on, um, on his piece, um, which is called um, Space Time Tuning Machine, which is about <laughs> a time traveler mouthful. who travels in space and time, all a Doctor Who, but he's trying to tune his machine to find home. And he keeps on mistuning it and taking it to alternate dimensions where they define home as a different thing. So those are three of my favorite um, uh, favorite projects. Um, And then um, in terms of um, plugging things, I'm also... slacker. You're not busy at all. I know, I know. Those are just side (laughs) things, you know. And then I'm also um, um, working with Theater Communications Group, uh, TCG, um, on um, a sort of uh, conversation around an artistic research project I did on the future of the American theater and life. This is the Sundance project. This is the Sundance project. Yeah, yeah. No, it totally um, is. So that's coming up. You want to talk um, about that a little little bit um, tell people what that is or well essentially i'm um, uh over the pandemic i interviewed 76 people on the future of the american theater and live performance and they all came up with interesting ideas and then i, I wrote that into a study that was released in august 2021 um and it's you know the perception has been really good so i'm partnering with tcg the study was wonderful i mean i really enjoyed what well, i read i know there's so I many know there's, there's more to it than 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 because like you've got hours and hours of interviews oh yeah i've got so well. many interviews you know yeah um although those are those are on lock and key, you know. Um, but oh, um, that's gold. Um, I mean, that's gold. Well, you can read the profiles the and stuff, you know. I mean, I think. think what, right. what did you? What, what did you conclude for storytelling in the American theater at the end of the study? Well, in, in the end, um, I would say that um, in the American theater, we're doing okay, and we will do okay as long as we follow the ideas of the artists out there. There's amazing artists and storytellers, and they're leading the way, and all we have to do is follow. Them. But anyway, we're doing an in-person convening on November thirteenth. You know, okay. I'm in New York City, so cool. stay tuned for that. Well, I hope you'll uh, I hope you'll come back and join us again anytime. Awesome. Talk some more about D and D themes and uh, and what's going on with you. Yeah, or, or we could just talk about movies and stuff. We, we just we, hang out. We know, could just, just like stash hang all out. the MCU yeah, characters. I'd be yeah. down. Exactly. <laughs> I love you, Jesse Allen. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Jesse. This episode's most D&D song ever is Ride to Destiny by the Midnight Syndicate off the official role-playing soundtrack for Dungeons & Dragons. You can check that out on our Spotify playlist. And you can find us on Instagram at bardquest underscore empire and on Twitter at bardquest E. That's BardQuest, the letter E. As in, as in empire. As in empire. Or, or Eric. Or everything. Or Eric. Yeah, Eric. Or... No. Everybody. No, that's a little... <laughs> <laughs> Farquest Empire is produced by Bang and Tara Bang and Zach Murphy. Executive produced by Jessica Blank. Theme song by Tasha Blank. Sound effects provided by Darren West. I'm Eric Jensen. And I'm Phaedra L. Casey. Thank you for joining us at Bardquest Empire. Empire.